Uh, Psalm 25, let's look at this together. This is a Psalm of David, and as we go through it, we're going to understand a little bit about the circumstances that David is facing as he writes this Psalm. But let me just read it first, and then I'll pull out some of those, uh, some of those little tidbits uh, afterwards. Okay, of David, to you, O Lord, he says, I lift up my soul. O my God, in you I trust. Let me not be put to shame. Let not my enemies exult over me. Indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. They shall be ashamed who are wantonly treacherous. Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. Remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love, for they have been from of old. Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions according to your steadfast love. Remember me for the sake of your goodness, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in the way. He leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast, love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. Who is the man who fears the Lord? Him will he instruct in the way he should choose. His soul shall abide in well-being, and his offspring shall inherit the land. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him, and he makes known to them his covenant. My eyes are ever toward the Lord, for he will pluck my feet out of the net. Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. Bring me out of my distresses. Consider my affliction and my trouble and forgive all my sins. Consider how many are my foes and with what violent hatred they hate me. O guard my soul and deliver me. Let me not be put to shame, for I take refuge in you. May integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait for you. Redeem Israel, O God, out of all his troubles. One of the things to do when you read a psalm, first off, is to try and construct as best you can the circumstances out of which the psalmist is writing. A lot of times you'll see clues in the midst of it that help you to construct what's been going on. And we see several clues in this psalm about what's going on. This is King David. So first of all, we know he's a king. Um, He has lots of responsibility. He is not young because he makes this statement about, remember not the sins of my youth. So we seem to be in a phase where where he's a little further on in life and perhaps his responsibilities have grown and uh, he feels the weight of those increased responsibilities. Um, He is in trouble He says that he's lonely, Uh, he's aware of his weaknesses as he approaches the uh, amazing, the incredible task that's before him. He's facing external pressures from uh, people around him, enemies around him, Uh, and uh, and he kind of sums it all up in this phrase, um, for he, meaning God, will pluck my feet out of the net. He feels entangled, there's a kind of a web uh, circumstance that he's in as he, he surveys all of the weight of his responsibility and uh, the awareness of what he's doing and those who are pressing in around him and the awareness of his own weakness. Um, so 
put this into a, a, a modern day situation, I think we can all relate to how David is feeling here a little bit. Uh, around Valentine's Day uh, this past year, uh, I was uh, resonating with this kind of a psalm. Um, it was a difficult time for me. Uh, I was working, uh, you know, some of you know this, I work with the district, which is uh, Northern California churches in our group. There's about 50 of them. And I serve as the church plant director. And we had some transitions going on there. Um, the, the, the superintendent of the district was stepping down, and so I was being called in to, to, to fill in some, some different pieces of that. Uh, I was involved with about four or five churches that uh, were just starting, and there was layers of relationships and sort of intensity there, and so I was deeply involved with those. And then this church was growing as well, and, uh, um, and, and, and so I was go- it was going great, but I just had this incredible feeling like I was not getting to responding to emails quickly enough and, and responding to requests and things and felt like I was just stretching the bonds of relationship a little bit there. And then, of course, when I go home at night, I, we do have four children. And so um, there's a, a layer of complexity that goes along with that as well. And uh, they're great and wonderful, but parenting, you don't mail it in. It takes some effort and some work. And so um, it just felt like at that time. And then on top of that, uh, somebody... Uh, started um, questioning my commitment to the gospel, who had heard some, some, some wrong information. And so this was sort of floating around. And so there was this kind of this strange uh, attack that was going on. And uh, so all of this stuff was sort of pressing in at the same time. And, and I had a, a feeling like David in this psalm, where the complexity of it was a bit overwhelming, and I needed some guidance. How do you navigate through it all? And uh, I remember uh, on Valentine's Day or somewhere around there, Jody and I went out and we went and saw The Descendants. And some of you may have seen the movie The Descendants. And uh, I, I absolutely love this movie. This guy, um, this guy uh, his wife uh, is in, a, in an accident and she goes into a coma and then they tell him that she's never going to come out of this coma. And so he has to kind of jump into his family responsibilities a little bit more and he has to go get his daughter, teenage daughter, who's kind of going off the rails and in the midst of it, she tells him that actually his wife was cheating on him before this accident, and so he's got this, and then he's the trustee for the family land in Hawaii, and uh, it's, it's going to be sold, and he's got, you know, 30, 40 family members who are all trying to bend his ear and give them their opinions, their input, and he's just at the center, he's at the crucible of all these different relationships and these incredibly complex scenarios, and he's just right at the center of it all, and so much of the time, there's nothing he can do but just absorb what everybody's saying and sort of accept it and just sort of go on with it. And maybe, just maybe some of you this morning, as we're gathering together to worship, you're in a season like that. I remember I walked out of that movie and, and Jody said, I was like happy and, you know, that was a great movie. And Jody's like, that was a really depressing movie. I said, no, I, I thought it was wonderful because my life is not like that. I mean, I'm really pleased. I'm, what I'm dealing with is, is easy. Uh, and, and, and maybe some of us are that way right now. And if, if we're not right now, you know we've been this way in the past or we will be in the future, right? Where the complexity of life becomes a bit overwhelming. The layers of relationships and, and, and the external pressures pressing in on us are so great. And what we really need is guidance from God to navigate the complexity of it all. That's what we desperately need is guidance from God. And this is what you see David coming to in the process of this psalm, amidst the complexity of his life, uh, which we probably, none of us could hardly imagine, the amount of responsibility and the weight upon him, David opens his, he lifts his soul to the Lord, and he pours out what's going on, and he, in the midst of that, 
finds uh, comfort and direction and guidance from God. And so this morning, as we look at this psalm, I want to give us four keys for receiving guidance from God from this psalm. Four keys for receiving guidance from God, especially amidst complexity in life. Three are truths that you just need to know and accept, and one is something that you can do. It's kind of a posture that you take in the midst of complexity. The first truth is simply this, that God has, in the midst of complexity, you need guidance, you want to find your way out, God has the right map. God has the right map. Look at verse 4. Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. David has a commitment deep down, and this is very basic, that it is God who knows the way out. God has the map. Verse 8. God, good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in the way. He leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. See, this is basic. And I know that some of you uh, have been coming and worshiping with us and you're part of this congregation and you're sort of dipping your toe into things spiritual and you're trying to understand who this God is and you, you, it's kind of a, a process of getting to know who this God is a little bit. And I want to encourage you, if that's you this morning, test what David says here. Just try it out. In other words, what I mean by that, try living according to God's plan. Try letting God give you the map for your life. By that I mean letting God determine your decisions and living according to what He tells us in Scripture and just try it out and test it and see if it's true or not what David says in this text, that His ways are the right ways. That as we learn them, we find guidance in the midst of our difficulty and our complexity and our circumstances. Test it. For those of us who've been walking with the Lord for a long time, um, our problem is, you know, if somebody asks us, we would always say, oh yeah, I believe that God has the right map for my life. Fine, that, I believe that. But our problem is we deceive ourselves. We, 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 we deceive ourselves into thinking that we're letting God lead us when so often the, is the case, we're leading ourselves. We get into the self-deception kind of thing where... We, we say on the outward that we're, we're following God's map, but really we're more interested in our own map, right? And we want to do what we want to, want, want to do. And you see this happening when you encounter difficulty and uh, trials, um, and you, 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 know, you try to figure it out on your own, and it gets worse. You ever had that? And it, it gets worse and worse as you keep trying to figure it out on your own, and then all of a sudden you think, hey, wait, I should pray, Right? Now, you could pray at the beginning, couldn't you? And that would be perhaps a little bit more effective. Uh, and, and that's what God wants us to do. His ways are right and good and true, and He's willing and wanting to share them with us. And so for us to step out in the beginning of our circumstances and pray, uh, that's what God's called us to do. For those of us who have been walking with the Lord for a while, um, beware of this self-deception. God has the right map, and we need to stick with it. Not as a last resort, but at the very beginning of our 
difficult circumstances. The second one is this, says God knows your situation. This is a very important one. Verse 16. I love the way David opens up to God in this. Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. Bring me out of my distresses. Consider my affliction and my trouble and forgive all my sins. Consider how many are my foes and with what violent hatred they hate me. Oh, guard my soul and deliver me. Let me not be put to shame, for I take refuge in you. My integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait for you. Redeem Israel, O God, out of all his troubles. David opens up his, his soul to the Lord, and he, he's very transparent, he's very authentic, he's very real with God. He shares exactly what's going on in his heart. I mean, some of us, we're the, you know, you're the king, uh, a great king, and yet he's willing to admit, I'm lonely, and I'm afflicted, and my troubles have overwhelmed me, I'm in distress. We read that, and we take it for granted that David would speak this way, but we ought not to do that. We ought not to take it for granted. It takes a courageous person to step out and say, to anybody, to God, this is what I'm struggling with. This is my loss. This is my pain. This is my suffering. But the model of David is for us to go ahead and do that. I don't, I don't know how David trusts God so much, but he does. I mean, we have it much easier because we have the person of Jesus Christ, God incarnate, to look to. And we know that that Jesus suffered all the things that we could possibly suffer. So it's easier for us, I think, than for David to go to God and be real about what's really going on in our hearts and our lives because we have the model of Jesus Christ who suffered all of these things. I just made a quick list of some of the things that Jesus suffered that maybe you and I suffer from. Jesus was misunderstood. He was lied to. He was betrayed. He was arrested. He was framed. He was beaten. He was mocked. He was humiliated. He was tortured in physical pain. He was abandoned. He was guilt-laden. The sins of the world were placed on him. He was horrified. He was depleted. He was demoralized. He was despairing. And he died. Now, the list could probably be extended much further than that. The idea is that it includes every type of suffering struggle, pain, circumstance that you and I will encounter in this life. God knows what it's like to be you in your circumstances at this moment. And because of that, you can freely go to him and share with him, like David, in this raw, open, transparent way, what's actually going on. And it's absolutely critical that we do that. God knows your situation, so take it to Him. The third one is this, as we're seeking guidance from God. First of all, God has the right map. God knows your situation. And number three, your past sins do not disqualify you from receiving His guidance. Your past sins do not disqualify you. When we're facing the mountain of complexity, uh, the layers of challenges in our life just seem to be mounting and it's overwhelming to us. Oftentimes, our first response is to look at that and say, I can't handle this. I can't do this. 
And then there's the little voice that comes up inside of us and says, remember how you failed before. Remember how you blew it, how you sinned. You're not trustworthy to handle this. And the little voice speaks inside of us and we begin to think, there's no way out. I'm trapped. The little voice kind of takes on a life of its own. It's, it's kind of like this voice I have. A, a, a couple of years back, a few years back, there was a, a woman, a troubled woman, who was kind of part of our community for a little while, and um, we did as much as we could to try and help her. In fact, one person in the community really stepped up to provide housing for this person who is in need and also to work a plan for this person to begin to get connected in. Uh, but she was a very troubled woman and something happened in the midst of that and she sort of turned against us and no longer wanted to receive our assistance or our help. And she has held this, this grudge uh, for a period of time and she, she likes to vent it every so often on me. And so... Uh, I get these phone calls on a fairly regular basis, and uh, she declares in no uncertain terms what a horrible person I am, and, and, and just basically swears and, and yells and, 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 and sort of, you know, just uh, attacks every possible part of my being. And I get these phone calls every so often, and then one day I was sitting out at a cafe on Solano Avenue with the district superintendent, who is my boss. This was beautiful. And, and she walks by, and she's just strolling along, and she goes, wait, are you Andrew Hoffman? And with, I couldn't lie, um, <laughs> which is, was my first intention. And so she launched into a tirade swearing and accusing me of every possible thing. I mean, if even just a tenth of it were true, I should have been fired at that very moment, right? And I, I'm looking over at the district superintendent whose eyes are kind of like this, you know? And, and I couldn't think of anything, anything to say. I said, I think we got a little spiritual warfare going on here. <laughs> and he goes, you think? Um, and, and, and so, anyway, my point is, is, and I got a call from her this week, and this was, this was sort of interesting. She launched into a tirade and, and said all these things about me, and at the very end she said, um, but I just want to reconcile with you and make peace. Bye. And she hung up. And even that was enough for me, right? <laughs> just a little thread of something uh, positive in our relationship. Um, uh, so I'm looking forward to our next interaction. I think we're on the right track. Um, <laughs> But my point is that there's this, this voice, and for me, that voice, is, it's just so tangible and real because I get actual phone calls. Um, but we do this to ourselves, right? And, and it's not that we, there's a phone call, uh, but the voice plays in our heads, and, and we think about all the things that we've done in the past and how that will affect what's going to happen in the future. And the voice speaks words, and sometimes they're evil words, and they're untrue words, uh, and Satan likes to get in our heads and to cause us to reflect on how uh, uh, much of a sinner we are and how there's no hope and this and that. That's, that's, he hates us because we're made in the image of God. And so if we can be destroyed in that way, then he would want to destroy us. And so the words that David writes are really important because he says this. 
in verse 6. Remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love, for they have been from old. Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember me for the sake of your goodness, O Lord. And the key thing to recognize there is when we get caught in our heads spinning around the sins we've committed in the past and the broken places where that's left us is that our future is not dependent upon who we've been in the past. It's dependent upon who God is right now and His, the way He is, His character is a character of steadfast love and forgiveness. And that's the basis upon which we look into the future with hope. Not because we've been perfect or there's hope of us ever being perfect. It's because of who God is. And in the midst of this, you can just picture David struggling with layers of complexity and he's got all this responsibility and he's the king and he's got these enemies and this, all this stuff and he's thinking to himself, I've blown it in the past, how am I going to handle this one? And then he remembers, it's not based on my own righteousness, it's on the righteousness that comes from God because of His character. And you and I need to remember this as we seek guidance in the mix of complexity and struggle in our lives. But it's not only for the past, verse 11, it's in the present. For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my guilt. Even right in the midst of the complexity of his life and his circumstances, he probably has that weight of feeling like he hasn't done the right things. That he's failed. Even right now, he is failing. Will that derail what God has planned? And the answer is no. For your name's sake, again, because of God's character, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. And so this is the prayer we pray over and over again as we encounter difficulty and challenge. And we remind ourselves of this truth that past sin does not disqualify us. Past sin does not disqualify us. God can still, and He still does, work in our lives to guide us. So three truths that are very important. God has the right map. God knows your situation. Past sin does not disqualify us. And then the fourth one, this is where we begin to take action in seeking God's guidance. And this is how we're going to say this. Position yourself to hear God's voice. Position yourself to hear God's voice. Now, oftentimes when we are in a difficult situation, we, we want to hear God's voice and we feel like we have to do something to hear God's voice. I remember when I was um, first uh, starting to get into church planting and one of the qualifications they said about church planter who would be successful is that they needed to be spirit-led. You need to hear the voice of God. You need to be spirit-led. And that was very daunting to me because what does that mean exactly? But as I've gone on, it's become less and less daunting to me because being spirit-led is merely just the ability to hear God, to hear His voice. I think sometimes when we want to be spirit-led, we, we think that we have to be God's voice for ourselves. We have to come up with what God wants to say to us. It's a very human approach. But to be spirit-led is, is to position yourself, to listen, to hear God speak into your life. That's what it means to be spirit-led. And David gives us some great um, postures for being spirit-led. But first, let me remind you what God says. We've gone over this before. This is how God leads us. If you go to the next slide, uh, when God speaks, 
He speaks through His Word most prominently. That Word gets filtered through the community and we, we start to understand it as we explore it and study it together. This is why home group is so important. God speaks to us through our circumstances. He opens doors and He closes doors. And then He speaks to us through the promptings. And the words get smaller because I was just trying to communicate this idea of a filter, a funnel. That when God speaks into our lives, he goes through his word. It always goes back to his word, but then filtered through the community and the circumstances of our lives. And then sometimes just merely the internal prompting. God put places in us a prompting to do something or a desire to go in a certain direction. Now, we have to be careful with that because the further we are from God, the more likely that those promptings will not be of God. And we won't maybe be able to know the difference between us. But as we get to know Christ and we become a little more aligned with Him, as we learn to hear His voice, then we can pay attention to those promptings more and more because uh, the, the, our, our desires are being melded with God's desires. So this is the process of how God speaks to us. So He does speak to us. And David tells us, go to the next slide. David tells us, if, if you want to listen to God as He speaks, then here's the posture that will allow that to happen. The first aspect is humility. It's very basic. Simply coming to God is a posture of humility and saying, I want to lift my soul to you and pour out my struggles and let you speak into my life. That's a posture of humility. But verse 9 makes it more explicit. He leads the humble. That's what our responsibility is. He leads the humble in what is right, and teaches the humble His way. In other words, you want to hear God, take the posture of humility. Verse 12, Who is the man who fears the Lord? Him will He instruct in the way that He should choose. Verse 14, The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear Him, and He makes known to them His covenant. So to position yourself to hear the Lord is to take a posture of humility. It's to take a posture of integrity. Verse 10, all the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep His covenant and His testimonies. And verse 21 says it so powerfully, may integrity and uprightness preserve me for I wait for you. Integrity is clarity when you're listening to God. Integrity is clarity when you're listening to God. Sin blocks, I guess this is appropriate, it's gross, but sin is like earwax um, because it blocks your ability to hear the voice of God. And when you're engaged in sinful behaviors, you will not hear in the same way that when you're walking upright. Now, of course, we can't be perfect in this. That's not what it's saying. But if our heart's desire is to seek integrity and we're clearly on the journey with Christ's help to walk in integrity, that increases our ability to hear the voice of God. And then lastly, patience. Verse 3. Indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. Verse 5, lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. 
Verse 21. May integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait for you. That word wait. In fact, patience is not really an adequate word for the word that's, that, that's being described here, wait. The Hebrew word is kavar. And we did a study on this when I was in seminary, and the whole class went back, and we re- researched all the uses of this word wait. And then we came back, and we shared them together, and we started to think of metaphors for how you could explain what this word really means. And what we came with, the best metaphor that we came up with, is to wait in the sense that it's meant here is like a sprinter waiting in the starting blocks for the gun to go off. It's not a passive kind of waiting. It's a waiting of expectation that God will move, and when He does, you will be ready to respond. That's the kind of waiting. It's an active waiting. It's not an inactive waiting to wait in the starting blocks. And and, and verse 13 helps us to understand that a little bit more. It's a different word, but His soul, this person who's waiting, shall abide in well-being and his offspring shall inherit the land. In verse 15, my eyes are ever toward the Lord. So as you wait, your eyes are toward the Lord, for he will pluck my feet out of the net. So to position yourself to hear God in the midst of trying circumstances is to take a posture of humility, to live a life of integrity, keep on doing what's right, and to wait expectantly for God to speak. But He's the one who speaks. You don't have to speak for Him. And He will speak through His Word, through the community, as you share what's going on with the community. He will speak in the circumstances of your life, opening and closing doors, making things real, and He may even prompt you inwardly by His Spirit in your spirit. Jackie Robinson, uh, you know, was the first African-American baseball player. And uh, there's a story about how uh, the signing of Jackie Robinson to the Brooklyn Dodgers occurred. Um, There was a man named Branch uh, Rickey, who was the executive for the Brooklyn Dodgers, who was in charge of signing. And um, he had this big decision to make. Would he sign uh, Jackie Robinson to the team or not? And uh, he was part of a church there in Brooklyn uh, called the... Plymouth Church of the Pilgrims or something. This is an old historic church that had been part of the Underground Railroad during uh, the the days of slavery, and so had a history kind of uh, around these issues. And uh, the story goes that the pastor of that church was sitting in his study one day, and Branch Rickey came bursting through the doors, past the secretary who was trying to stop him, and burst through the doors and walked into the office and said, I need to pray, I need to think, I need some guidance. And for 45 minutes, they didn't talk, and he just paced up and down in the office of this pastor and prayed. And finally, at the very end of it, he threw his, hand, his fist onto the desk, and he said, I've, I've come to a decision. We're signing uh, Jackie Robinson. And uh, the pastor said, great. And he said, this was such a complex, multi-layered decision that I had to just be in this place where I could pray and get guidance from God. And he went forth from there, and he made the decision, and the rest is history. And, and the story goes that after he made the decision, a journalist came up to him and said, when you, make, when you go public with this, all hell's going to break loose. And he said, no, I think actually all heaven will rejoice. And we're kind of still rejoicing, right, uh, over, over what was done there. Now, here's my point. 
You can come into my office if you have a hard decision to make and pace up and down. It's a small office, so you're going to be running into the walls a lot. Um, that's fine. That would be one way to do it. But what I'm really interested in is you finding not the room of my office or some other pastor's office, but the, the, the room of the Psalms that David paints a portrait of right here. And in this room, on the walls are some powerful truths about who God is. That He has the map for life. Okay? That our sins do not disqualify us. All the truths of God that inform our decision making. And in this room also, you enter in, and if you want to hear God, you take the posture that He's shown us in the person of David. The posture of humility before God and honesty and transparency and getting real with God. The posture of integrity. While you're waiting, just keep on doing what is right. And maybe some of you this morning are here and you're in the midst of trying circumstances and it's confusing and you don't know what to do and God is saying to you, just keep on doing what is right. Live a life of integrity. And then He's saying to you, and take a posture of patience. Wait. But don't wait without hope. Wait with expectation that God is going to move in your circumstance. He is going to, what the psalm says, guide you. He's going to teach you His ways. And that will carry you forward and enable you to move forward. God, I ask for anyone in this room this morning who's struggling at this time with a complex set of circumstances, perhaps multi-layers of relationships that are hard to untangle, a weight that seems overwhelming, maybe a track record in the past of having blown it or messed things up time and time again. My prayer, Lord, is that this morning, through this psalm, through your living word, you would speak into our hearts to remind us of the powerful truths that you hold the keys to our future, you have the map, that our sins do not disqualify us, that you know intimately what we're going through. You've experienced it yourself. That we can be transparent and honest with you. And help us to come to you in humility. Help us to keep on doing what's right while we wait. And help us to wait with eager expectation that in fact you being the living, breathing, moving God in this world will move in our circumstances as well. We pray this in Christ's name.